I pray my soul waits for the Lord, my hope is in His Word. More than the watchman waits for dawn, my soul I cry to you, in darkest places I will call, incline your ear to me anew, and hear my cry for mercy, Lord. Were you to count my sinful ways, how could I come before your throne? Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone. I will wait for you, I will wait for you on your word. I will rely, I will wait Wait for for you, surely wait for you. Till my soul is satisfied, so put your hope in God alone. Take courage in His power to save, completely and forever one. By Christ emerging from the grave, I will wait for you. I will. Wait for you on your word. I will rely. I will wait for you. Surely wait for you till my soul is satisfied. Now he has come to make a way, and God himself has paid the price. That all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice. I will wait for you, I will wait for you on your word. I will rely, I will wait for you, surely wait for you till my soul satisfied. I will wait for you, I will wait for you through the storm and through the night. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, for your love is my delight. For your love is my delight. Please be seated. 
Good morning, church family. It is good for us to be here together. I love worshiping God with you. Do you want to make sure that you heard already? But uh, uh, Vacation Bible School starts tonight at 530. Uh, so if you're uh, going to come for that, we certainly hope that you will. Invite your friends, your neighbors, your grandkids, uh, any kid that wants to come. It's uh, looking great. If you haven't been down our education wing, uh, it's decorated uh, for Redemption Ranch. And of course, the gym over across the way is decorated as well. It's going to be a great uh, few days. That's uh, starting tonight all the way through Wednesday night at 5. 5.30 each evening, so hope that you will come and be a part of that, and we are excited about that. We will have our regular service here at 6 o'clock, and uh, uh, tonight I'm going to be teaching some two-year-olds, so pray for me, uh, and if you have a two-year-old, pray for me, uh, but uh, the rest of you will be in here, and again, there will be a worship service, and uh, Mike Carmen's going to be preaching tonight, and I believe he's in Genesis chapter 3 tonight, so Mike will be pre- speaking tonight uh, at 6 o'clock, and I believe he's in Genesis chapter 3, so I look forward to that. Uh, This morning we're wrapping up our series called The Waiting Room. We've been looking about and thinking about how do we wait on God and what does it look like uh, to wait on God. And we've talked about uh, a different number of things, but this morning we're going to talk about uh, waiting's blessings. What blessings are there that come about uh, through considering and and waiting for God? This morning what I want to do is we're going to run very quickly through about uh, six Old Testament passages, some from the Psalms, some from some of the Prophets. Uh, very, very quickly. Notice some quick nuggets about them, and then we'll continue and run through about three more passages, still pretty quickly, uh, but if you want to uh, turn to those with me, you can. Uh, the first one of those will be in First Samuel chapter 1. That's on page 225. 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you want to turn your Bibles there, if you have a pew Bible, uh, that's on page 225. Uh, we'll be there in just a few minutes. Waitings, blessings. In the Old Testament, again, the psalmist and many of the prophets make a very clear point that when we wait for the Lord, we will be blessed. Now, we want to establish that and look at some of these verses. And then at the end of our lesson, I really want us to, to answer the question, okay, well, what does it look like to wait for God? What does that look like? But let's look at a few of these passages this morning. In Psalm 130 and verse 5, this is the psalm that the song we just sang came from. It says, I will wait for the Lord my soul waits, and in his word I hope. The psalmist declares, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the Lord, and while I wait for him, what he has already told me, his word, the Bible, is going to be the thing that I'm going to hope in. I'm going to put my hope and my trust, and it's going to be the foundation for my life while I'm waiting for whatever God's going to do, whether I'm waiting for something personally or whether I'm waiting for God to act in some big way across the, the entire existence that he's created, I'm going to wait and put my hope in his word. In Genesis chapter 49 and verse 18, it says, I will wait for your salvation salvation, O Lord. Now, that's an important one, and we wanted to include this one because I really want us to, at the end of this lesson, at the end of our series, to understand what is it ultimately that we're waiting on? What is it that we're ultimately waiting on? Now, we'll look at a few examples, uh, three examples, two, two stories, really, and, and then a parable of Jesus uh, towards the end of our lesson. And there are some of these, especially the first one, when we think about Hannah, she's waiting for something specifically. She's waiting for something personally. But ultimately, and we've been there too, right? You've been praying about things to God and asking God to do things or asking God to act in a situation that you're facing and and we wait for the Lord. We're, we're, We're asking, we're laying our petitions before him, we're telling him what we think we need, what we think we want, we're asking him to to act in our life and we have to wait personally sometimes. But ultimately, what are all of us as Christians, what's the whole world waiting on, even whether they know it or not, they're waiting on this salvation that's to be revealed at the coming of Jesus. 
So I will wait for the Lord. Now, did the, the writer in Genesis, did the, the, the character there, the individual there know exactly what they were waiting on? They, they may not have, but they knew they needed some salvation. They needed saving from something. And they said, I'm going to wait on the Lord because he's the only one who can provide it. Now, whether their situation was the same as ours or not, I, I don't remember exactly. But I know that the salvation that you and I need is a salvation that only the Lord can supply. So we better wait on it. I can't give it to myself. You can't give it to me. There's no one on this earth that can give me to me except for Jesus. So ultimately, what are we waiting on? We're waiting on the salvation of the Lord. In in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 14, I believe it says, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Again, sometimes when we think about, uh, we, we don't like waiting. And we've talked about this the last three weeks. We don't like waiting because inactivity feels like uh, uh, not just not moving forward, but sometimes inactivity feels like backing up. Like I'm not doing anything and everyone else is leaving me and everyone else is moving fast. And, and, and inactivity feels like we're not doing anything. But sometimes there are specifically blessings that God says, if you will just be still, if you will just wait. I will act. And we got to let God be God instead of us trying to do things that only God can do. And I think we struggle with that sometimes. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4, I believe that says, the print's a little small for me. Uh, It says, For of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. If we could stop right there, if you, could, if you and I could drill through our heads and into our hearts this passage, we could stop the lesson right now. And I hope that you will, but we're going to keep talking. Isaiah says, from of old, there has never been a God like you. No one's ever seen or heard of a God like you. And, okay, well, in what way, God? How are you different than, than any of these other gods that people worship and serve? How are you different than, than any other being that exists? And he says, a God who acts for those who wait for him. Do you want God to act in your life? Do you want God to be active in your life? Do you want God to bring about something good in your life? Well, Isaiah says, he will act for those who wait for him. And again, waiting is tough because we feel like we're not doing anything. And especially in our culture, we, we have this pull yourself up by your bootstrap mentality. And, and at the end of our lesson, we'll say that we'll, we'll drill down in the point that, that it doesn't mean that you don't ever do anything and that you're, you know, you just completely rely on God and you don't play a role in any of this. That's not what we're saying. But, but Isaiah says, God acts for those who wait for him. And sometimes we just want to do it ourselves or we want to do it our way or we think our wisdom is the best or our way is the best. And God just says, there's, Isaiah says of God, there's never been a God like you who will act for those who will wait for him. We struggle with that. I I struggle with that. Maybe you don't. Psalm 27 verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The psalmist knew how hard it would be for you to wait. And he says, take courage, strengthen your heart. And then Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord, this is the one that we all know. Uh, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles that shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Again, the Bible, the Old Testament especially, and even into the New Testament, uh, the writers, the psalmist, and the, uh, even in the, in the history books, they, they, they tell us about the importance of and the blessings that come from waiting. So as we think about waiting's blessings this morning, how do we take part in those types of blessings? Let's notice again those those three different passages starting in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you're not turned there already, go ahead and turn there. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. Again, 
I'm going to tell you the story, and I want to point out a few things about uh, this woman named Hannah. Okay, so we, we, re, we are introduced to uh, a woman named Hannah. We, we don't, we've never heard about her before, and we hear about her a little bit afterwards, mostly because of her son who, who comes from her. Uh, but she is married, and she wants nothing more, it seems, from First Samuel chapter 1 than to have a child, but she's barren. She can't have a child. Uh, and, and, and some of us today may have experienced that, the desire to have children, but the, the inability to have children, okay? And it seems like, uh, and she's in a, a situation that's another story for another time, but she is one of two wives of her husband, okay? Uh, and, and she is, um, her, her, the other wife nags her about it and teases her about it. And it, it says that she does so bitterly. There is some contention. As, as we can imagine in a polygamous relationship with one man and two women, there is some tension between the two women. We can, we can imagine that. And apparently the other wife, uh, she really just, just sticks it to Hannah and says, hey, you haven't had any kids yet, have you? And she just does it over and over and over again. And it says they go up to make these sacrifices year by year. And especially it seems at the time of these sacrifices uh, that the other wife just, just pokes it at her and says, hey, where's your kid? Hey, where's your kid and maybe maybe it's because every time when they go up to make these sacrifices to God Hannah seems to pray and pray and pray God if you will just give me a child if you will just give me a child she is praying desperately for this year after year no doubt not only when they're at that time of sacrifice but certainly daily notice what it says again in a few things in verse number six again her rival the other wife uh, would provoke her bitterly in verse number seven year by year she would do these things go down to verse number 10 and she that's hannah bitter of soul prayed to the lord and wept despondently now again despondently is not a word that i use every day uh, but despondently is a word that means without hope now that's kind of an oxymoron when we think about prayer she prayed without hope what does that mean she's prayed this prayer before and it hasn't been answered She's prayed this prayer a lot, and it hasn't been answered. And it seems as if she's gotten to the point where she's saying the words, but she doesn't have much faith that anything's going to happen. She's praying despondently. Verse number 12, she's multiplying her prayers before the Lord. And Eli, who is the, the priest there, he sees her and she is, she's so despondent, she's so without hope, she's so bothered that, that he thinks, she, he looks at her and her behavior and, and the way that she's uh, you know, lifting up her hands probably to God and, and just you know, in, in the midst of this prayer probably weeping and, and just extremely emotional and he thinks that she's drunk. He thinks that she's been drinking in the middle of the day and that she's dared come to uh, this place of worship and offering this prayer to God while she's inebriated. But it says in verse number 15, the end of verse 15, and she says and said, I have poured out my soul before the Lord. I have given God everything in this prayer. I don't have anything left. So I've poured out my soul to the Lord. And then Eli may be a little bit embarrassed uh, because he thought that she was drunk and then he realizes that she's not. Eli almost maybe offhandedly, maybe not even me- really meaning it or perhaps he did. He said, hey, okay, so- sorry about that. May the Lord grant you your request. And, and whether uh, purposefully or not or whether because of that or not, 
after this, uh, she goes away and she's happy because a priest has said, hey, may the Lord give you your, your request. And she does get pregnant. And then we find in verse, um, uh, verse number 27, I believe, a passage that many uh, Christian moms know or have had quoted to them, uh, this idea of, for this child I have prayed. So here we have, here we have Hannah. Uh, one example of someone who, who's waiting and, and she's been praying and praying and praying about specifically for her having a child. What's it for you? Have you been praying about something? Uh, maybe, maybe it is a child. Maybe it's uh, a promotion. Maybe it's an opportunity, whatever it is. And, you, and you've been praying. Maybe, maybe for Hannah, what we can learn, maybe two things from Hannah, okay? Two things we can learn from Hannah. First of all, she prayed and prayed and prayed. It says year by year. So we don't know how long, but, but for years she's been praying for a child. I have no doubt because of the desperation that she seems to want it. She's praying this every day, multiple times a day. She is multiplying her prayers to the Lord. She has prayed this prayer to the point where she almost has no hope in even offering this prayer. Uh, but she's been praying it. Maybe one lesson we can learn is maybe for her, the answer wasn't no. It was just not yet. Maybe the timing wasn't right. Maybe for her when she prayed, God just said, well, that's, that's not what you need right now. Maybe God in his infinite wisdom knew that that wasn't what she needed. I, I don't know. We, we don't know. We're not given that, that part of the story. We're not given the backstory there. But sometimes maybe in our prayers, maybe the answer isn't ultimately no, but maybe the answer is not right now. So what can we learn from Hannah? Well, what did she keep doing? She kept praying. And even though she prayed almost seemingly without hope, she still prayed, so she hadn't given up completely. She still recognized that there was a God who could answer her prayer, and she still went before him. But I don't know about you, but some of the most fervent prayers I've ever prayed, the answer has been no. The blessing that I prayed for did not happen. The good health that I prayed for for others did not come about. Sometimes when we pray and when we think about this idea of, of waiting, I want, I want to drill this point in because I want you to understand that waiting for the Lord does not always mean that you get what you're waiting for. Hannah did. Praise God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she literally praises God. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2 is an entire chapter's worth of, of her response and her praise of how great God is for answering her prayer. But you have been there, I have no doubt, many of you have, maybe all of us have, where we have prayed, and maybe some of the most fervent prayers we've ever prayed, the answer has been no. What do we do with that? We'll address that when we get back to it at the end of our lesson. At the dawn of a New Testament in Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 857. Luke chapter 2, we're introduced to uh, two other characters. Here, Jesus in Luke chapter 2, he has uh, been circumcised like in every uh, Jewish boy was. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, and then there was a time of purification for him and perhaps for his mother. So probably when G Jesus is around 40 days old or so, uh, they bring him to the temple to present to him, present, uh, him to God. Uh, this would be because of Old Testament laws that the firstborn uh, of every family was to be presented to God uh, and, and some details there that we're not going to take the time to go into. But, but they came and they, they brought Jesus as their firstborn son uh, to the temple uh, to present him to the Lord uh, in, in tribute. And we introduced to, to two people here in, in Luke chapter 2. We're, we're introduced, first of all, to, to a man named Simeon. 
it says that he's righteous and devout. Now, we're not told whether he is a priest or not, uh, but he is in the temple, uh, so there's certainly a possibility that he's a priest. But it was told to him because the Holy Spirit was upon him, Scripture tells us, uh, that, that he was told in the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Okay, so Simeon is an old man at this point. And, but he has been told through the Holy Spirit that he will not die until he sees the Lord's Christ, until he sees the Messiah, until he sees this one that's been prophesied for, for hundreds of years and everybody has been waiting on. He, it, the Lord tells him, you won't die until you see him. And somehow, again, probably because the Holy Spirit's upon him, when he sees Jesus, he automatically knows. There's nothing said. Uh, his parents don't say anything. Jesus, as a baby, doesn't do anything miraculous for him to have known. So apparently God, probably through the Spirit, as he's uh, introduced other things to Simeon, uh, allows him to know. And he says some, some amazing things. And it says that his parents marvel at the words. Uh, that, that Jesus has been appointed for the rise and the fall of many in Jerusalem and, and a number of other things. And so Simeon is there. And he's been, he's been waiting for this blessing that God has, has told him, before you die, you're going to get this. He's been waiting for it. And then we're introduced to, to another person in this uh, same story, uh, a woman named Anna. And it said there that, uh, that she was uh, married, but her husband died after about seven years of marriage. And then it says she's, I think it says she's 84 years old at this point. And so after her husband dies, she serves in the temple as a widow for decades. We're not told exactly how long, but probably about 50 years. Probably about 50 years, it says that she's there night and day serving the Lord. Now, no promises seem to be made to her, but she's there for a momentous occasion. The, the Christ, the Son of God, has come to the temple to be presented like all the little boys of Jerusalem and Israel would have been. She's there, and she also, she's a, she's a prophetess. So she's able to, to recognize and understand, okay, Simeon is saying these things. He, he, he knows uh, because the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that this is a tremendous event. And she says some amazing things. And, and both of them, Simeon and Anna both, are proclaiming to anyone and everyone who would hear, and there would be a lot of people in the, in the temple at this point, hey, this baby right here, he's a big deal. You need to pay attention to this guy. You need to keep your eye on him. And this is before, of course, Jesus has done anything. You know, the, the next time we see him is when he's 12 years old and he shows back up in the temple. By that time, Simeon and Anna, no, no, no doubt, are likely uh, dead. What do we learn about waiting for Simeon and Anna? What do we learn from them? Well, we learn that prayers are answered, promises are fulfilled, and praise is given. When we think about waiting... And especially when we think about waiting's blessings, uh, families, um, true for all of us, but something that I really think parents, we need, we need to, and I need to do a better job of this. When God answers our prayers, we need to make sure our children know it. When we've been praying about something, when we've been praying for God's blessings or for God's help in a certain area, and then God blesses us in those areas in whatever way it may be, we need to probably, first of all, have been praying those prayers with our children and then when God acts when he does act for those who wait for him like scripture tells us we need to make sure that our children know hey this wasn't mom and dad we didn't do this God did this and we need to praise him Again, we see Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 praising the Lord because of the good things that God brought about for her. We see uh, Simeon and Anna praising the Lord and telling everyone about him. And, and don't you know that on that day in the temple when this, eight, you know, this, this 40-day-old uh, baby is presented to, uh, to the temple, don't you know that people had some questions for Simeon and Anna when they're saying all these amazing things about this baby? I mean, 
babies are great, right? Well, babies are cute. They're, they're wonderful. Uh, all, all the things that are great about babies, but many people there could have just said, well, it's just a baby. How can, how can you know all of these things? Don't you know that in the midst of their praising this baby, tons of people had questions. You mean this is the Messiah? This is the chosen one? This is the one that we've all been waiting for for so long? But what about another lesson that we might learn from Simeon and Anna? Again, they're there at a momentous occasion. They're there and, and, and blessed to be a part of a really theologically significant event. But most people weren't. Most people weren't there. Maybe there were hundreds. Maybe thousands. Probably not. But maybe thousands of people were in the temple that day. But the vast majority of the kingdom and the people of Israel were not there that day. Maybe you and I will be blessed to be a part of some sort of theologically significant event. Maybe the baptism of someone into Christ for the remission of their sins. That's a big deal. Let's don't forget that. But a lot of times, most of us won't, won't be there whenever that is. You know, think about how many people have, have lived and died as faithful Christians and Jesus hasn't returned yet. One day, Jesus is going to return. And some of us, perhaps, somebody's going to be there. Somebody's going to be alive when that happens. Will that be you? Will that be me? I don't know. We, we don't know when he's going to come back. But one day, that's going to happen. Simeon and Anna were there when the Son of God is presented to the temple, is presented to the people of Israel. What a tremendous event. And Simeon's even told, hey, you're not going to die until my son comes to the world. What a tremendous event they were blessed to be a part of. But most of us, most Christians, are not going to be a part of an event like that, the second coming of Christ. What about us? What about if we miss those opportunities? Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, that's on page 830 in your pew Bible. Matthew 25, we're going to read a few verses here. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 31 and following, it specifically talks there about the, the second coming of Christ. And I believe at the, really the beginning of Matthew chapter 25, this is the context that we're talking about, is the second coming of Christ. And, and he tells a parable here in Matthew 25. It's actually one of the parables that we'll cover in our vacation Bible school, uh, maybe even tonight's lesson, I believe. Uh, Matthew 25, let's start in verse 14. It says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and handed over to them his possessions. And one of them he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. So here in Matthew 25, and really 24 and 25, he's talking about the kingdom of God, especially Matthew 25, the second coming of Christ, the uh, the, re- the revealing of us being in, in eternity with God in heaven, and uh, he's really uh, trying to help people understand, trying to help that, that first century audience, and, and thereby helping us understand as well, what's it going to be like? And so he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, in other passages earlier, on and and last week we were actually in the passage just above when we talked about the parable of the ten virgins and now he's saying okay well the kingdom of heaven is like this story about the parable of the ten ten virgins and then in verse uh, that we just read he says also the the parable uh, or the kingdom of heaven is also like this a a, a man who's rich he's wealthy and he's about to go on a journey and he's going to give his possessions to his servants uh, five talents and two talents and one talent and for us to really understand and and to grasp this uh, a talent is a tremendous amount of money this is not uh, a little bit of money this is uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's money uh, perhaps more so even the one talent guy he's getting a ton of money 
Okay, so he trusts all of these guys extremely much, okay? And, and we kind of know the story, right? Uh, we, we know what happens. He goes on his journey. I believe it's in verse 19. It says, after some time. So again, we're not exactly sure how long. Maybe it's a, it, it seems to be a, a prolonged time. He didn't just go away for a week, okay? Uh, for, for some prolonged time, at least months, likely years, uh, this, this master goes away and he's entrusted his wealth. He's entrusted these talents, this money, uh, to his servants. And eventually he comes back. And when he comes back, the five talent guy has, uh, raised five more talents and the two talent guy has raised two more talents and one talent guy, he didn't do anything with it. Uh, but, but what I want us to really, uh, drill down on is in verse, uh, number 21, the first, the first, first part of verse 21. And it's a passage that we know about. And remember, it's in the context of helping us to understand what the kingdom of God is like and ultimately what the second coming of Christ is going to be like. And we, we use this phrase a lot to think about what's the, the day of judgment going to be like. And I think it's accurate, but I want us to focus on one word that we may not usually focus on. The master says to his servant or his slave, just like God will say to his servants or his slaves on the day of judgment, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, I'll put you, put you in charge of more, enter into the joy of your Lord. Now we've, we've heard that phrase before, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. And, and maybe, maybe there's all kinds of things we could focus on there. Uh, but I think most of the time when I've thought about it myself or I've presented lessons or heard lessons about it, often we think about the well done. And, and that's, that's an important part. Well done, that the actions, the, the things that we do, and, and certainly the, the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, they're different from the one-talent guy because the one-talent guy, he, what did he do? Remember, he dug a hole and, and buried the talent that he had so that he could just give it back to his master. The other two used the talents, used the money that they were given, and used it to, to get more, and they, they worked with it. They worked with what they were given, and that's certainly an application for us today. God expects us, there is an expectation for us to use the blessings, the talents that he has given to us uh, to, to his glory. Uh, to bring about more good for him okay so well done that that's good and then we think you know well done good well of course you know we want to do something we don't want to do something bad so we certainly want to do something good but what the word i want us to think about when we think about waiting is well done good and faithful faithful well done good and faithful servant what does it mean to be faithful what does it mean to wait for the lord Scripture has told us, and we have seen examples, and you've got examples in your life or perhaps in the lives of other people that, that you know that God blesses those or acts in the lives of those who will wait for him. But what does it mean to be faithful? Well, for these, these servants who are given these talents, you know, it, it seems as if uh, that, you know, they, they take the, the five-talent guy, the two-talent guy, they take the money they give, and maybe they invest in a business or they, you know, they buy and sell and trade, and that's how they're able to, to, to gain more do you think that in the midst of this time period that the master is gone, were there, were there ever any ups and downs in that effort? You know, did the, the guy with the five talents, did he, he go and, and buy a field and that field ended up being barren and not producing anything and he, he lost some money there? Did he have some, some bad times? We, we're not told. We don't know, but we know that happens, right? In, in the buying and selling and trading and, and usage of money, we know that there are highs and that there are lows. In the Christian life, we know that there are highs and that there are lows. There are times when we're extremely faithful to God and, and we, we do the things that God wants us to do and, and we're, we're blessed with success because of that. 
But the question is, when we think about being faithful, when we think about waiting on the Lord, and, and certainly ultimately waiting on the Lord's coming back again, are we faithful even in the difficult times? You know, to be faithful simply means to be full of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because the one who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Again, there's an important word, those who diligently seek him. That means there's some effort there's some, uh, some exertion of energy there. Uh, reaching the mountaintop takes climbing the mountain, right? There has to be some, some effort made there. When we think about waiting for the Lord, when we think about waiting's blessings, the question is, are we going to be the faithful servants? The servants that do the things that God wants us to do, even in the difficult times, or perhaps when we fail to do the things that God wants us to do, we get up, we dust ourselves off, and we recommit our lives to God again. Lastly, this morning, turn with me to Titus chapter 2 that was read to us earlier. Uh, Titus chapter 2, let's read verses 11 through 14. This is on page 998 in your pew Bible. Titus chapter 2, we'll start in verse 11. Uh, we really like the first part of verse 11. It's a powerful part, something we need to, uh, to remember and be thankful for. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now, that's, that's an important thing for us to think about as, as New Testament Christians is there was a time when people followed God and, and there certainly was grace and there certainly was mercy and forgiveness. Uh, but now the, the writer here, Paul, is, is distinguishing between there, there was a time previous when the grace of God had not been revealed and now the grace of God has been revealed. And we know that we're saved by grace through faith, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and following. So we're, we're thankful for the grace of God. But a lot of times when people think about grace, they just stop there for whatever reason. And, and recently I, I heard this passage read, I don't know if it was another lesson or I heard it somewhere else, but, but maybe this is one of the best places where it's a tremendous balance of grace and works right here. Notice what it says again in uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. God's grace saves or makes salvation possible to all men. And what does that grace do? Verse 12, instructing us, it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we, as those who have received this grace, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem for, from us all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good works so here we we have this this idea that we talk about a lot that this grace has appeared and there is a responsibility that goes along with this grace that our lives every day should be lived as a response to god's grace god's grace has appeared bringing salvation or at least the possibility of salvation to all mankind and then for those of us who have received it we need to live our lives righteously sensibly godly in this present age we have a responsibility what prayers have you prayed that have been the most fervent prayers in your life no doubt in my life the strongest prayers i've ever prayed were for my son james when he was born with his heart condition you haven't prayed harder than i've prayed in those days i don't know of anyone who has and the answer to my prayer was no. 
Our son passed away. But I'm still waiting on the Lord. There are good times in our lives. And there are bad times in our lives. And when we think about waiting for the Lord, let's recognize that, that I'm, not, I'm not asking God, I'm not waiting ultimately on God to just bless me and for my life to be perfect. I want good things to happen. I'll make my wants and petitions known to God as we're instructed to do. But I recognize that, that God is bigger even than the struggles that I go through. So when the answer's no, or what, when I wait for what I'm waiting for and it never happens, even though I pray over and over and over again, as hard as I can possibly pray, like Hannah says, I pour out my soul to the Lord. Waiting for the Lord doesn't always mean we get what we're waiting for. Not in this life. So when we think about it, what I want to encourage you to, to take away from this entire series, I hope, is that ultimately we're waiting on the Lord's return. We're waiting on that opportunity to be with God. We're waiting on that opportunity for something that's better. You remember our theme for this year, right? Better, seeking something more than what this world has to offer. You see, the world offers us a lot of great things. The world offers us a, a lot of blessings, a lot of opportunities, a lot of wisdom, a lot of talent and ability and, and all of those things. But, but even the best of what the world has to offer is not as good as what God has to offer. Now, God's wisdom and God's word gives us a direction and it gives us purpose to reach out to other people. But ultimately, what are we waiting on? As I'm living this life in a response to God's grace, knowing that I have a responsibility to live a certain way, to follow Jesus, I'm waiting on the time when I get to be with God. And what's that going to look like? I don't know. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. There's a lot of thoughts about what that looks like. We've seen uh, in the book of Revelation and some of the Old Testament passages uh, some, some pictures of what uh, the heavenly throne room looks like. Is that what it's going to be like? Are we all just going to be worshiping God constantly in heaven? Maybe. That sounds okay with me as long as I'm in God's presence. I'm, I'm cool with that, okay? But is there going to be something more? Is there going to be something different? I don't know exactly. But what I hope in and what I trust in and what I've come to know is that one day... Jesus is coming back. And there will be those who mock us. And they say, where's he at? It's been 2,000 years. But remember, as we wait for the Lord, he will fulfill his promises. Maybe not all of our wants. Maybe not all the things that we think we need. But God always acts for his glory and for our good. This morning... Again, Titus says that the, the grace of God has appeared. Isn't that interesting that this, this vague idea that we have of grace, grace is not a, not a thing, it's not a tangible thing. We can't see grace, but the Bible says grace has appeared. Well, how has grace appeared? Well, it appeared in Jesus Christ. It appeared, it came to the world and lived perfectly and died horribly and resurrected miraculously. The grace of God exists and lives through Jesus. 
this morning, do you have access to that grace? Are you connected with that grace? Are you a follower of Jesus? If you want to be that, we want to help you to do those things. Scripture tells us that faith in Jesus, repentance to Jesus, confession of Jesus, and baptism into Jesus is what makes you a follower of Jesus, where God's grace is. Now, I can run through that really quickly, but if you don't know what the Scriptures say about that, I want to sit down and talk to you about that. But if you do know what I'm talking about, and you're interested in becoming that, why not do it this morning? Listen, we've been waiting for 2,000 years for Jesus to come back. I don't know when he's coming back, but I trust that he will. As we wait, will we be faithful? Will we hear those words from our Lord one day? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Uh, Brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with that in some form or fashion, we want to help you with that. Uh, We want you to know that we as your Jefferson Avenue family, we're here for you. Uh, And we're here for you, not as people who are perfect who will say, man, you really messed up, let us help you do better. But as we'll say, hey, we've really messed up too, let's help each other on this journey towards heaven. Let's really lean into God's grace because that's what saves us. And let's live our lives in a response to that. If you need help, so do we. You can let us know those things and we'll pray for you. Uh, If there's anything you need this morning, we want you to invite you to come as we stand and sing.